The Tribal Knowledge Paradigm, Chapter 10, Part 3. The Four Box Touchstones. We presented two of these touchstones in the previous chapters, and we are setting them down again here as key tools of the Tribal Knowledge Paradigm. In fact, we think they are the key tools of the program because they ground the whole organization in the fundamental drivers of success. By making them touchstones, it serves to establish them as important components of the paradigm that we believe will create the targeted corporate culture. Think about it. Why did we suggest that they were important in the first place? We realized that we needed to ground our approach with a solid base. We knew that the ROI touchstone, seen below, was a good start. Besides, every CEO likes to see cash generation. We had used it effectively for 25 years. And the chart just shows the war on waste is the high-value, low-cost corner of the return on investment two-by-two grid. In order to keep ideas strategically focused in the system, we need another reference point because the way we approach the process, the excitement left when we left. No matter what we did, we couldn't get around that. We were the energy-adding entity that kept the chaos at bay per the second law of thermodynamics that we have alluded to earlier. We needed a way to make the continuous flow of energy into the company an organic tool. Additionally, we needed a simplified leadership system that forced best practices into daily procedure. Know-how is the vehicle for achieving that objective. That is where the mission-relevant tribal knowledge tool comes in. By making a tool, as seen below, integral to the process of thinking an idea through a tribal knowledge improvement cycle, we have effectively forced everyone to get on board. In this particular presentation, we have included only the high mission-relevant high improvement in tribal knowledge squares labeled in that high value, uh, high tribal knowledge improvement and high mission relevance gets labeled as star material and the low improvement in tribal knowledge and low mission relevance indicates that it had better generate losses of cash. Everyone can understand the value of the tool as a basic touchstone of the process. All ideas are vetted using these two tools to convince the Tribal Knowledge Council to approve an expenditure of funds to make an idea happen. The beauty of using these tools is that the introduction of the Tribal Knowledge Paradigm is an easy concept for the organization to digest without the necessity of an expensive consulting engagement. It can be readily absorbed by everyone with a few successful projects that keep in mind high value, low cost in the ROI touchstone because low cost is fast and high value is exciting.
and its high mission relevance on a clear-cut improvement of tribal knowledge. It isn't rocket science, but it makes for a fun work environment. Value-added thinking. The value-added perspective is a simple way of becoming customer-driven. It, too, becomes a touchstone for thinking. What does the customer value? How much value do they place on it? With this tool, which is a circle with three equal parts, one value added as a category, two is essential support, and three is waste. We call these the three process functions in value-added thinking. With this tool, we can eliminate waste, re-engineer business systems, re-engineer products, or design new ones. There is a lot of intensity involved in getting people to think of the term value-added as a way to focus work. Once it is explained and understood, it becomes a very powerful tool to guide thinking throughout the company. At the foundation of the tribal knowledge paradigm is the value-added process of understanding of where and how value is delivered to the customer. In most of the discussions about this, there is a heated exchange with those employees who don't add value. In fact, the discussions get downright nasty. No one wants to think that they don't add value in their job. It takes some time for even the well-educated to come to grips with the idea that not every job adds value. So early on in this discussion, the pie chart above is evolved to help the discussion. The point of the chart is that there are three functions going on in the processes of every organization. Value-adding jobs are simply those that the customer is willing to pay for. In every business, everyone needs to understand why the business exists and how it makes money. The question, what does this company do to add value, is fundamental, if not obvious. A lawyer adds value when performing tasks that require legal skills, talking on the phone about a legal problem, writing court briefs, arguing before the judge or meeting a client in the office to review a legal situation are all tasks that fall into the value-adding category. However, making copies of documents doesn't normally qualify as a value-adding task. Lawyers charge for these activities, and that makes them value-added tasks. The task does not require legal skills, but is charged for nonetheless. In the real world, not the legal world, this task is an essential support function because customers don't or won't pay for this service. This quandary creates lots of confusion to workers and professionals alike. It usually is a bone of contentions for clients who don't like paying these outrageous fees for lawyers, with lawyers insisting that they pay the costs of copying, and this has become the norm in doing business with lawyers, the disgusting creatures. So the question, what is waste, 
is intimately tied to the company's value-added activity. As employees start to identify waste and process bottlenecks, they are reflecting the effectiveness of a company's ability to deliver value. All those things that occur in a company that keep the value from being added efficiently are wastes. Going through the exercise to properly quantify and qualify jobs as essential support or value added, or even waste, is a valuable reflective exercise. By looking at a company's value-added proposition very closely, all employees know what they do in the grand scheme and are on the lookout for the wastes that keep value from being delivered. Once employees know that their jobs can be defined as value-added, essential support, or waste, they are on the alert. If they have never thought of their job in that light before, they give it a good deal of thought afterward. As a rule, very few employees of companies have any clue to what the company does to add value. When asked a typical employee of a machine shop, what does this company do to add value, it is amazing that most of them have never thought about it. After a few minutes of discussion, though, someone may note, that it is obvious that a machine shop only makes money one way, when chips are being produced. But then some wise guy asks if they are adding value when they do assemblies for their customers. Of course they do. Customers are paying a small fee for the assembly. Then one of the ladies in the quality department asks, what about our military customers that also pay to inspect their parts? This isn't rocket science. And employees pick up on the concept very quickly. Gradually, they're able to see the correlation between the term value-added and what they do for customers and what customers will pay for. In a discussion with employees at a bank who, when asked, what is it that you do to add value, the room was silent. Of course, people put their money in the bank and expect a number of services to be provided. But, for instance, what is the added value part of the loan processing service? Who does the added value work in processing a loan? This was a very important question because once it was known, it was then possible to determine what the right work of the bank should be. The term right work is used here to help keep all of this clear in the minds of those looking for problems that might be waste. This term is contrasted with working right, because if you are delivering value and the wrong work is being done, then that is still a waste. If you do the right work but do it wrong, that is also a waste. In the bank, the current workflow was examined, and it was determined that the wrong work was being done. For instance, when a loan was initiated for a wealthy individual, the loan documents were put in a folder. As the folder passed through the various clerks and administrators at the bank, it went serially from desk to desk. Why? Why couldn't it go in a parallel fashion to those that had a need to know and serially to the key document signers? You can't. 
It's required by federal law to do it that way. So the first question raised was, what federal law said this? What did it say? Of course, there was no such federal law. Once it was found out that there was no governing federal law that said how records should be processed, the root cause of the issue was uncovered. The right work could now be determined and the optimum flow for the signatures defined. This example points out a couple of interesting points about the term value-added. First, once employees know that value-added has something to do with how the company makes money, then they can get involved in looking at the company's inefficiencies and so doing. But more importantly, they can frame all ideas of wastes or inefficiencies in terms that reflect on their mission relevance. It gives a whole new meaning to the job analysis that is based on value-added contribution, mission relevance, and efficacy of process delivery. Each job now has a basis for analysis in the grand picture of contribution to mission. The process of removing bottlenecks and stripping waste creates broad-based understanding of the core business while evolving consensus of strategic direction. It simplifies and focuses business operation. A second point is that very few companies are clear about all the ways that they make money and how these different ways are tied to strategy. This was discussed earlier in the chapter on strategy and the definition of strategy as per Michael Porter it is any number of value propositions. A value proposition is a statement of what a company does to make money or a statement of how it adds value. The interesting part of this logic is that lean business initiatives are inextricably tied to an analysis of the effectiveness of the company's strategy. If the implementations of the various value propositions or the added value activities are flawed, then the strategy is flawed. This is exciting stuff to think about, because if you work at a company and you think you know the strategy, then go down to the lowest level person working in the company and see if you can determine whether there's a correlation between the workers are doing and the defined strategy. A more important issue do the workers know the company's strategy, or do they understand the strategy? A further point about the chart concerns the essential support category of activity. Value-adding jobs are those that clients are willing to pay for. In our definition, essential support tasks are those that support the adding of value. In the manufacturing world, examples of essential support are sales, shipping, and so forth. The lines get murky when you look at quality inspection. Most customers don't want to pay for that or go ballistic when they see in charges for it. It is assumed that the process will make a perfect part and extra charges for that service are unacceptable. It ultimately gets buried in the financial detail. In the case noted 
of a military customer, they want to have certifiable tracking of every part that goes into a military aircraft and will pay for that service. In that case, quality control is a value-added offering. The last category of corporate process activity is waste. Nobody wants a job that is considered waste. Unfortunately, there are more of those than should be considered reasonable. There are jobs that are totally wasteful, and there are also parts of jobs that are wasteful. In the analysis of jobs from just the value-added perspective, it would be logical to eliminate waste from the jobs or eliminate the wasteful jobs entirely. Sometimes that isn't possible. In tightly held companies, there are a lot of jobs that are waste. Nepotism is many times the cause, but sometimes just plain laziness is the culprit. Feathered bedding jobs are a notorious source of waste. For example, the extra person in a diesel train cab to stoke the engine boiler. As interesting as it is to look at the value-added and related aspects of work in an organization, the value of this thinking helps substantially in moving the company to the tribal knowledge paradigm. SWOT, S-W-O-T, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. We all know the strategy tool developed by Albert Humphrey of Stanford Research Institute. It has become one of the standard tools of strategy over the last 50 years. If you understand your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and you try to understand the same for your competition, you've done a good deal of critical thinking about how you stand in the market. Traditionally, this tool has been left in the hands of strategic thinkers in the mahogany row. But when the thinking of all employees is elevated through the education that occurs in the tribal knowledge paradigm, then SWAT plays a slightly different role. As employees migrate from the early stage suggestions that come from the war on waste-like initiatives, SWOT analysis becomes an interactive tool touched by those with an interest. How to capitalize on core competence or strengths and external opportunities, as well as how to counter weaknesses and extreme threats, becomes a focus of everyone engaged in the innovation culture. In the tribal knowledge paradigm, that is everyone. All hands to the battle stations. Often, just having this perspective will generate self-healing of the organization. In other words, as problems arise, the system is savvy enough to solve them, and when serious wounds occur, the system will correct itself. Market Success Criteria Although much market success is accomplished in the value-added process, we need to take it to the next level of a customer-driven organization. Understanding what it takes to be successful in any market tends to be overly complex in most companies. 
in the tribal knowledge paradigm, it is also a complex issue, but here we need to leverage and engage know-how. To do this, we must distill market scenarios, the customer, competitor, and social, political scenarios, down to a list of factors in order to apply performance measures. We need to know if we are hitting the target or not. We need to have a good competitive scoreboard. Both of these are sources of idea generation. In the tribal knowledge paradigm, market success factors put a face on the customer while giving us opportunity for ongoing self-assessment. This is the end of chapter 10, the tribal knowledge paradigm.